Today on Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman, we're throwing back on Thursday and we're looking at an old slogan, just say no. Because we're looking at a group of people who have never been told no in their life, or at least it seems that way. So we'll look at Leah Thomas and his competition with women coming up in the NCAA D1 Swimming Championship. We'll look at a USA Today article about a woman of the year who is not a woman. And then we'll also dig into a kind of response follow-up to my Turning Red review that I think you'll find very, very interesting. We'll dig into that and so much more, including daylight savings time and the attack on time. All on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching today. It's gonna to be a fun show today, so I wanna jump into it as quickly as I can, but before I do that, I have to make sure that I make mention of the fact that this show is sponsored by Element Funding. By now, you've noticed rising skyrocketing gas prices. You've noticed inflation at 7% and rising. And then you might've noticed too that interest rates are starting to climb. Now, eventually, without you doing very much, gas prices are gonna go back down, hopefully, and we'll get back to some semblance of normalcy. However, it's up to you to make sure that you lock in a good interest rate for your home. So you need to go to Element Funding right now and the Kevin Blair team so that they can help you get locked into a great interest rate. And guys, it's totally free. So go to kevinblairteam.com and they can help you right now get pre-approved for a home. And even if they don't service your area directly, they can help you find somebody that can. So make sure, go over there today, check them out and let them know that you were sent by IndieThinker. You guys remember Veruca Salt? She has to be one of the worst kind of people in the world. She's that little girl on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory who demanded everything and she said she wants it now. She had a dad who never said no to her at all, turning her into the worst little girl possible. So a whole generation of people in America have never heard that word and they desperately need to. It keeps them from impetuous temper tantrums like we saw in our friend Veruca Salt. So I heard Dennis Prager say this a long time ago and it kind of stuck with me. Um, and he said that the best thing that you can give your kids is a good dose of no. Every child needs vitamin N in their life to have a balanced diet. So we, when we don't use the word and we don't use it often, we get people like Leah Thomas, a boy who is set this week to blow his competition out of the water at the NCAA D1 Women's Swimming Championship in Georgia Tech. Just think. If anyone had told Leah Thomas a long time ago, no, you're not doing this. You're not gonna compete with girls. This boy wouldn't be breaking the record of female Olympians and undressing and showing his junk to a locker room full of young girls. So just recently, Matt Walsh went to Georgia Tech to speak about this. This is Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire, and he showed up uh, to talk about the fact that men are not women. So here's a, a little clip of his time at Georgia Tech speaking about this very issue. It'll hurt Leah Thomas's feelings. Of course, his feelings are the only feelings that matter, right, when it comes to the swimming issue. His feelings and the feelings of other trans people, I mean, th those feelings, for some reason, are supposed to outweigh the feelings of women who don't want their sports destroyed and their privacy invaded and their very identities appropriated and stolen and cheapened and fetishized and turned into a Halloween costume. The feelings of a million women are dust when stacked up against the feelings of one gender-confused man. All of reality is dust. Biology, science, truth, all of it is supposed to be thrown out the, the window because of one trans person's feelings. 
Well, I say to that, no. That's what I say. And I urge everyone in this room to say no to this. Don't affirm what you know are lies. Everyone knows it's a lie. Don't cooperate with what you know is wrong. Don't abandon what you know is true. Don't pretend to believe what you don't believe. So it takes a lot of courage in this world, I think, to say no. It's a word that's not said nearly enough. A guy like Leah Thomas has never heard it in his life, ever. No one's ever told him no. No one's ever sat him down and said, dude, no, this is not happening. <laughs> now, there's a lot I could say about this clip. Matt does a fantastic job of trying to explain what his opposition will never do, which is what a woman actually is. Uh, they will never define womanhood. They will only make audacious claims that trans women are women, which of course are men, not women. Um, but then they'll make that claim and then never define what a woman is. So uh, I encourage you to go back and watch the whole clip. But as I was looking at the protesters and even the one protester that showed up in his speech, I couldn't help but think about Jesus. Now here's why. Not because Matt has a beard, but because whenever Jesus encroached upon demonic territory, um, it was typically when demons yelled the loudest. It was a sign that the enemy was threatened because he knew, knew that his days were outnumbered. It's funny how raising children can be similar to demon-like encounters. I remember posting something a while back, and um, it was when my boys were very, very small, and I said something to the effect of, like, today in church I got yelled at and puked on, and it's funny how much, like, raising kids can be like, you know, casting out demons. So in the same way, whenever you see pouting, moaning, childlike behavior of those on the activist uh, left, you know you're getting close to a fight that needs to be fought and where the truth is most in jeopardy. Whenever you can found, find a loud but small segment of society, it is usually because the word no has never been uttered. And these bullies are merely trying to intimidate, you know, puff up their chest and try to back you up because these activists and their agendas crumble at the lightest pushback. This is why we must push back. This is why we must push back on specific arguments that you hear specifically coming out of this, uh, this trans community. And so the first one that I hear all the time is, your non-inclusivity is denying my right to exist. Of course, this is silly. No. Disagreement is not condemnation, and these people don't actually wish to be inclusive. They just want to shove their viewpoint down everybody else's throat. Inclusion would actually mean you have to dialogue with people who don't think like you and even change your mind when you find ideas that are made of more than Swiss cheese. But they don't really want to dialogue. These protesters didn't even show up to this, uh, to this speech to hear what Matt had to say. Therefore, the cry for inclusion is nothing more than a way to shut people up with ad hominem attacks. You're a bigot if you don't agree with me. Besides, the question of, uh, of inclusion it needs to be asked. Since we don't live in a psychotic society, we need to ask, what do we actually include? Because inclusion does not mean tolerance. We don't tolerate everything. The chemical castration of children and the bodily mutilation of God's children hardly seems like something that we should include. So the debate still remains. Not everything should be included. What should we include? And their uh, suggestion that actually their uh, open to all viewpoints is, of course, a lie. They're not open to the viewpoint of conservatism. They're not open to the viewpoint of the person who thinks that transgenderism is actually a biological lie. No, when they say, we're open to all viewpoints, they mean, listen to me or else. And they certainly don't mean, let's dialogue about it. That's not what they mean. Uh, nor should they. 
because they shouldn't be tolerant of all viewpoints. This is the thing that we miss the most in society today. We should not tolerate all viewpoints. And, and it doesn't make you good and virtuous to be tolerant of things that are evil. So suffice to say, we should definitely be intolerant. It's just a matter of making sure that we're intolerant on the right issues. Which kind of brings us to the next thing, right? Because they say that your intolerance on this issue is killing children. But is that true? No, I think actually you're talking about abortion, which means you're probably on the wrong side of things here. Because a simple logical question totally blows this thing out of the water. This idea that, uh, that any speaking against transgenderism kills kids. So what did trans people do for all of human history before transition, transition surgeries were available? If history like math is too hard, how about since they've always existed, transgenderism, that's what you say, transgenders have always existed, and it's not a modern fabrication of cultural Marxist, surely we'd have piles of bodies throughout the ages of people committing suicide because they weren't able to transition. Moreover, the lie that people who are not allowed to tr transition kill themselves is founded upon something much deeper. Couldn't it be that the same mental issue that fuels gender confusion is actually also making people commit suicide? I can tell you that the NIH and the National Library of Medicine said this, quote, the suicide risk in transgender people is higher in the general population and seems to occur during every stage of transitioning. And then it goes on to say this, it is important to have specific attention for suicide risk in the counseling of this population in providing suicide prevention programs. So according to the NIH, needless to say, they don't think that transition surgeries in every stage throughout transition is an alleviation of this suicidal ideation. So the final thing, why do you care? Why do people like you talk about this? It doesn't impact you. Well, actually it does in two ways. I think confusing kids is evil, and as a man, I have an obligation to stand up for small defenseless children. Secondly, the truth matters to us all. Our society is built upon an understanding of basic truths. The proliferation in ideology that wishes to undermine morality and essential human biology through the concept of gender certainly applies here. So, the whole point of all of this is that a simple no to a young man who wanted to compete with girls would end, have ended all of this, but instead, we find ourselves continually perpetuating the demands of an impetuous, very small minority of people. And why are we doing that? Simply because we do not say no. You don't have any special um, rights that other people don't get. All of us have to obey the same rules. So whether or not you profess transgenderism or not, or you're still struggling with your identity, it doesn't mean that you get to change the game and change the rules for yourself. So people like me are only merely saying this. You know, at the end of the day, you don't get to impose upon others what you wouldn't want imposed upon yourself. And you don't get to make up your own rules. You don't get to make up your own facts and you don't get to make up your own biology. This is the behavior of people who have never been told no. And I've said it once before, but the word impetuous comes to mind. The, the image of a child throwing itself on the ground and pounding the ground and crying out and saying, you have to listen to what I have to say. No, we don't. What we have to do is as a society, get back to galvanizing around a certain set of objective realities that are non-negotiable regardless of any activist that comes and wishes to undermine those objective realities. Now, certain bi certainly biological science is one of them, but I'll go one step further and say this. 
ethics and virtue are one of them as well. This is, I guess, my big dog in the fight because I, I think ultimately what happens when we talk about ethics and virtues, we have to understand that morality is morality all around the world. Morality is morality, right? If, if it's wrong to murder somebody in America, it's wrong to murder somebody in Afghanistan. So we understand this to be true, that there are some objective truths within the realm of ethics and virtues. But it's here where we get into a sticky situation because Christians like me understand that if you're going to, if you're going to assert that there is objective moral values, then you're going to finally have to assert the fact that there is a moral law giver or a moral law creator, as it were. But this is the one thing that those on the left especially wish to undermine today. And this is really what the attack is all about, is this impetuous demand and this refusal to hear the word no is nothing more than ultimately us trying to be our own gods and us trying to take matters into our own hands and, and assert the realities that we wish to assert even if they fly in the face of science, biology, and true ethics and morality. So we ultimately come back to the point, I guess, that if we're going to assert objective moral values, then we may have to assert some objective truths that we've, as a society, tried to run away with all of our heart. And then we may find we've run away from them for no good reason. And the existence of God and us not being him may be one of those realities. It's as certain as death and taxes. But if we don't reclaim no, we'll continue to follow the whims of singular, small segments of society that wish to impose them upon us. And we'll drive ourselves nuts at the end of the day. And we'll show you that in our headlines as we dig into them. So Rachel Levine is one of USA's top women of the year. And uh, I believe they select 100 women and Rachel Levine is a transgender woman, so a man. And maybe you remember uh, this person going before uh, Rand Paul and others to, when Biden nominated him as the uh, assistant deputy health secretary or something like that. But anyway, uh, this person came into to prominence when uh, when they were being elected for that for that office, and we kind of first heard about this person, and now they're being elected as a woman of the year. So I'll give you just one moment to come up with what my next thought is going to be. Now, Rachel Levine, born a man, transgender woman now, and being elected a USA Today top woman of the year. What, what do you think? I know this little quantum deduction here, but what am I going to say next? Will, Zach? What's your answer? Take your time. Not too long, though. We do need an answer. Give up? All right, here's the hot take. Rachel Levine is not a woman. Don't worry. She joins other people that don't deserve the, re the reward, like Simone Biles, who is a truly talented young lady, but now is most famous for having the courage to quit in the middle of competition. And then she also joins, of course, Kamala Harris, um, I guess for her incredible laugh. I, I, otherwise, I'm not quite sure. So these women hardly deserve to be women of the year for their contributions to our society, but, but at least they're women. Rachel may be the first trans four-star general, but he is not, again, hot take, a woman. This doesn't stop USA Today from a full article where we are asked to listen and entertain Levine's thoughts as though he was some great pillar of wisdom. Uh, so we're asked to listen to, to him as he imparts 
things like when he's asked, what do you think the definition of courage is? And this is what he says. I think my definition of courage would be to be true to yourself, be true to who you are, and then to pay that forward, to work towards the common good. That's what I have always tried to do. So just a word of caution real quick. Whenever anyone starts with, my definition is, be immediately alarmed. No one owns their own definitions for anything. Yes, language is socially constructed, but meant to convey objective reality. So no, you don't get your own definitions and you don't get your own pronouns. But the bigger issue here is the often repeated idea of be true to yourself. Now, I could just think about a million different ways in which I've heard this on social media, especially. This same phrase is repeated multiple times in multiple different ways. Be true to yourself sounds a lot like uh, like the, the whole thing, like listen to your heart or follow your heart. I've seen that about 15,000 times, like I said, in many different ways on Facebook, that same bad idea repeated. The problem with being true to yourself is that you have an amazing capacity, you and me, to be wrong. We all do. If we learn anything about people from the Bible, it is that the human heart is an idol factory. People are just easy to deceive because they're susceptible to suggestions. This is true of all of us, right? So we have to be careful when we just say, be true to yourself. And by the way, people are also very often gutless because courage is super hard. All of us have to fight our natural tendency toward cowardice to actually be create, courageous. The trans community especially knows this because they have built a whole racket on extorting the, the, the cowardice of people. And they play language games with them and they say, say my pronoun or else you're a bigot. The whole point of this is that you are not courageous when you're true to yourself. You are courageous when you say no to yourself. The much more courageous and much more hard thing to do for all of us is to be true to the truth. In order to do this bold and courageous act, you will have to tell yourself no. No to my debased desires, no to poor ethics, and no to lying to a transgender person because it will make them feel better and you get to move, upon, uh, move on with your day. The truth is always is just simply this. It's not only the most courageous thing that you can do, but the most loving thing that you can do to tell the truth. So here we see again that no is the best answer that you can give to yourself and to others who may want to try to peddle half-truths or write out lies. And I wanna take a moment to show you this via an illustration because here, right before our very eyes, is a true sign of courage. A Russian television producer staged an on-air anti-war protest. That's right. On Russian TV, a producer got in front of the camera, held a sign up. Now, before we go to that clip, and I wanna tell you what that sign said. So this woman who interrupts the broadcast steps behind the reporter and she's holding up a sign and that sign says this. And the only thing in English is it says no war and then the rest is in Russian. So I wanna uh, illustrate that for those of you especially who are listening and not watching. Underneath no war, it says, don't believe the propaganda. They're lying to you here. So here's a little bit of that clip. So here this woman shows true courage in the face of tyranny. And you can bet everything in her was saying, don't do this. But she pushed, pushed against her fears and did something brave. 
All the while, back here in the States, we have the Brain Trust at The View fighting with Tulsi Gabbard. Recently, Gabbard suggested that a ceasefire should happen in order to secure biolabs in the Ukraine. Now, this sounds like a reasonable suggestion, although not going to happen. But because it's been stated as a Russian excuse for blowing up Ukraine by the Russians that there's biolabs there, no one can even say the word biolab and Ukraine in the same sentence without stoking the ire of those on The View. Even the director of national security confirmed that there are over a dozen biolabs in the Ukraine. Now, they're not, not making supposedly bioweapons. They're just testing uh, biohazardous material to try to find cures for those things. Maybe like they have anthrax and they're trying to, and they have that so that they can merely find the cure for anthrax and that kind of things. But here's a clip with Marco Rubio and, and Haynes saying that biolabs do exist in the Ukraine. Does Ukraine have any biological weapons research facilities? No, let me be clear. We do not assess that Ukraine is pursuing either biological weapons or nuclear weapons, which have been some of the, uh, basically, the, the propaganda that Russia is putting out. Okay, so they do have the biological research facilities. What is our government's role in their biological research programs? So, as I understand it, Ukraine operates about a little over a dozen, essentially, biolabs, and what they are involved in is Ukraine's biodefense and their public health response, and that's essentially what they're intended to do. And but because the crew at The View is so insufferable, when they heard the word Tulsi Gabbard, you know, the surfer lady, former senator, white streak in her hair, ran for president, when they heard her trying to urge Biden to do something about this thing that could be a threat because of those crazy people who believed that COVID was created in a lab, and that what's happening in Russia, uh, Ukraine may be a threat as what happened in China to us. Uh, when, when, when the people at The View heard that, they, they took on Putin-esque tendencies and they said this. How do you not call out something that is repeating mm -hmm. false Russian propaganda well, that has been I, brought down? They used to arrest people for doing stuff like this. If they thought you were uh, colluding with a Russian agent, if they thought you were putting out information or taking information and handing over to Russia, yeah. they used to actually investigate stuff like this. And I guess now, you know, there seems to be no bars. Guys, slow clap for the brain trust at The View. I mean, way to reinstate McCarthyism, guys. If Putin was watching this, he would have said something like this. Good job, Whoopi. You make Mother Russia proud. We have space and gulags for your Tulsi. Your Tulsi woman. She can come to Mother Russia. We have gulag for her. It'd be wonderful for all dissidents. We, we will do this for Mother Russia. So a couple of questions. So these women... Do they have any clue what they're actually asking for? They have zero evidence that Tulsi or anyone else is conspiring with Russia and that they're being seditious in the assertions that they're making. But you still think that they should be investigated and that they should be thrown in jail. Do these people not own a mirror? If they do, maybe the only thing they do with it is pretend that anyone would even come close to them with a 10-foot pole. But do they actually realize here that they're in the media, and if they had their way, their own desires, it would mean they would inevitably fall victim to the same thing that they're asking to come upon other people? Wait, you know what? Second thought? Maybe these women stumbled upon a great strategy to free up some space on ABC's daytime schedule. So do that. Let's jail all journalists when they disagree with things 
we don't like. All right, let's jump into the next headline. So according to Axios, the rise of white nationalist Hispanics is coming to a United States near you. Now, I'm not gonna take the time to go through this article because really the article only states two people. They're, they're stating the rise of white nationalist Hispanics and they give two people as their proof texts here, you know, as their sources that there is this entity called white nationalist Hispanics that are rising up on the scene right now and they are a true threat to each and every one of us, so we need to do something about this threat. So again, all of my sources are down in the description of this podcast episode, so you can go there and you can check it out for yourself if you actually wanna dig into this ridiculous article by Axios. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is for a couple of reasons. Is first of all, when we're talking about the word no and making sure that, that people hear the word no, I think perhaps the way in which this is most pronounced, if not in the transgender movement of, of today, but, but in the kind of radical racial ideology of, of the left today. And these guys have to be told no. Um, because for starters, race doesn't actually exist. It's being used as a tool of the left. And let me be really, really careful to say that when I say race doesn't exist, I'm not saying that there are not kind of cultural uh, norms and certain things that come along with being a part of a community. But the idea that a black person thinks a certain way and that there is even such a thing as the black community. And what you mean by black community is not a group of people, but actually a monolithic, singularly minded group of people who think exactly like you want them to think and don't have any divergence within that community. Um, then what you're doing there is actually you're taking a page out of the racist playbook of people like David Duke. Of course, there is no such thing as the black community as one big monolithic group who all think alike. I mean, that would be akin to saying the white community. Don't fall for this stuff because I, I can even hear the leftist activists right now in my head and say, well, that's totally different because you guys are in power. Again, they're relying upon Marxist ideology to even come up with this thing. Race is a folk taxonomy. It doesn't exist. In fact, race is well-documentedly uh, created as something for white supremacists and uh, others who wish to uh, create a one supreme race, a la people like Hitler, used race as a tool to try to prove superiority. So it's always a tool of supremacy to, to defer to race, okay? So, so first off, the whole article is ridiculous because it bases its assertion on racial epithets and racial ideology. And why did they do that? Well, here's why. They created the Caucasian Hispanic or white supremacist, <laughs> white supremacist Hispanic as a tool. This is merely a tool to explain why the left is slowly but surely losing ground in their intersectional coalition. Because before, what they've tried to do is they've tried to manipulate black people and then they've tried to manipulate Hispanics into believing that they're the party that's actually for them with lies about open borders and with lies about universal health care even to people who are not taxpaying citizens and, and, and all of these things, these policy procedures that are patently silly. Um, and they've done this to try to curry favor or to create voting blocks within racial demographics. So for the left, race is just simply a tool and I can prove that to you. When was the last time you heard somebody on the right call somebody a racist? Maybe a GOP senator or something like that who used race as a cudgel to try to get you to believe what they were saying. 
Now, the right, by and large, does not do this. In fact, I can't think of a single instance, but this is done on the left by people like Cori Bush and others all the time. So race is just simply a tool not to care about people, not to actually care about issues in minority communities, but actually to create voting blocks for political purposes. So this is merely an attempt by the left, this article and their development of white Hispanics to try to create you know, to subsection off that, that voter block to try to say, hey, Hispanics, still vote for us. You know, we're still in your corner. There's just this segment of people who are starting to realize that Democrats actually don't care about us, but those people, well, they're white supremacist, even though they're Mexican and Cuban and, <laughs> and not Caucasian. I mean, I say this so passionately because my wife is actually Mexican. And I'm assuming because she's on the right and she didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, that that means all of a sudden that now she must be among this new demographic of Caucasian Hispanics. I mean, what does that even mean? That just simply looks to me to be an attempt to try to explain why these people are not, are, are not getting votes from a community that they've tried to cater to. How about you have a little bit of self-awareness and realize it's because Hispanics are waking up to your nonsense and not because they're white supremacists. And certainly naming two people in an article doesn't prove that there is such a thing as a rise of white supremacy within Caucasian Hispanics. Listen, these, these Democrats have never been told no. They've never been told no so much that when they lose, they have to jump to drastic measures to lie to themselves and to us. The left uses race and abuses race simply for political purposes. And they're so delusional that they have to continue to use race even when they realize their racial tactics aren't working. Uh, but, but by the way, this brings us to the final headline that we want to talk about today. And it just shows us this is what the government should be about. When they jump into these kind of racial ideologies, this is when the government's at its worst because it just needs to stay in its lane. So just recently, the Senate just passed the Sunshine Protection Act with unanimous consent. Now it's going on to the House and then it will eventually go to the president's desk and probably be signed. And ultimately this bill is just there to obliterate daylight savings time. Now I know some of you are, could not be more happy about the implications of totally destroying daylight savings time, but it looks like in our lifetime and uh, very soon, this bill is gonna go all the way through the House and to the President, and then it will do just that. And so this has been around, I think, since 1918. And daylight savings time was only kind of put in place at a time where we were more agrarian and even kind of coming out of that. And maybe there could be a little bit more time when it was warmer outside to go and work the fields and that kind of thing. But more importantly, it was just there to uh, kind of protect daylight um, and, and some of the places where it was, was more warm than, than other places so that, you could, uh, so that you can enjoy that daylight a little bit more. So needless to say, it looks like this thing is a far gone conclusion. Now, the reason I bring this up is that this is like what the government is supposed to do. Now, I joked at the beginning of this that this is the government attacking time, but that was just merely a joke. The reason I say this is what the government is good at is because this is something that was done by the government a long time ago, and it's totally insignificant and irrelevant. And now they're just undoing what they did a long time ago that was insignificant and irrelevant. Now, some of us have a problem with, with this because we like to think of our government as this well-oiled functioning machine that, that always tells the truth and is not, you know, half chock full of incompetent people who 
wouldn't ever make it in a real job. We like to think of our government as pristine and like kind of on a city on a hill. Um, but quite frankly, the reality is, is that our government is, is not really good at a whole lot of stuff. And in fact, our government was created in a sense to be incompetent. They were created for things like this daylight savings time bill. Uh, they were created to do stuff like this because our founding fathers knew that if the government had too much power and if they were able to, do get, to get too much accomplished, then that could quickly lean into totalitarianism. So we have to understand that our government was created in the backdrop of avoiding totalitarianism. And once we understand that, we understand the incompetence the stalemates, the divisiveness and the polarization going on in our government actually serves a really good purpose. When the government gets radical, there's, there's stalemates to keep it from continuing upon that radical progressive trend. This is, this is super important. This is why we have a government that isn't just pure majoritarian rule. This is why there are systems and checks and balances in place to frustrate some of the movement of our government so that it cannot become too powerful. This is the whole purpose of checks and balances, and it's a good thing. So the government needs to stick to very few things, as little as possible. They need to be in the business of creating a military for the purposes of national security, domestic and international. And uh, they need to be behind creating as few programs as possible to ensure the freedom of its citizens. So this is why this bill is good. This is what the government should be about. But somehow I think people might disagree with this because we don't like to admit to ourselves what the government might actually be. But more importantly, we may not like the personal responsibility of having to do things ourselves. In fact, this is where we do like no. We like no when it comes to personal responsibility. We like to pass the buck on to our government and then we like to blame them when things are not getting done as much as we, as we would like. And so there is an aspect, by the way, in which um, when the, the left and the right does this, by the way, so when a Republican gets up and says, we would do this if not for the Democrats, they're keeping us from doing this, and then Democrats say, well, it's just these Republicans, they're non-compromising and they won't work with us. There is some element of that that is really, really good. So when we find simple common sense things like this daylight savings bill, which we, we don't need daylight savings anymore. So when we find common sense things like this and the left and the right agree upon it and it won't do much damage if it goes away, this is when we see our government at its very best. And our government doesn't need to be taking on the responsibility that God created us for, but it's way easier for us to say, no, you guys do it. This is why we want our government to be powerful in part. But those of us who know better, maybe those of us too on the Christian right who realize, hey, original sin's a thing and the more, the more power we get, the more corruption is possible. We understand that personal responsibility is way better than constantly wanting our government to be bigger. Say, say no to government, but say yes to personal responsibility. All right, let's jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. Okay, today we have something a little bit different. Um, on Christianity Not Today, I typically like to, to cover a story that has some kind of Christian implication or carries over into the Christian world. And so it's a little bit different today uh, because I simply wanna kind of go back to something I did on my last episode on Tuesday. So I did a review of the movie Turning Red and since then a lot of people have spoken up about the movie and I've seen Christians in multiple places speak up about this movie, but not in the way you expect. The hot new take from some Christian circles is to complain about those who complain. 
about what's going on in the culture. So there's been some who suggest that it's silly to be surprised when Disney does these kind of movies and the fact that they're taking incredibly adult material like transgenderism and abortion and placing it in a movie that's supposedly for teens but really in the package of a movie for like five, six, seven, eight-year-olds since Pixar is known for doing that kind of thing and not really having a stellar reputation for teen material. Um, they think it's, it's weird that people are protesting this movie in a sense. So the idea is that we should somehow stop being surprised by secular media and how evil it can be. So, so people have been saying things like this on social media. Why are you surprised by this? Don't put high expectations on the world. And the world didn't sign up to commit to Christ. So I've got a couple of things that I want to I say about that. First, I've seen very few people calling for the director to convert to Christianity and repent. Maybe I'm missing something, but that's not what I hear people saying. Most reviews I've seen simply suggest that maybe you shouldn't put soft-peddling propaganda about abortion in a kid's movie. That doesn't seem like a bad ask to me. Um, moreover, the one thing I think is probably the least thought out is why are you surprised by this, you know, when they say that? Why are you surprised by the world doing these kind of things? As though we should become so indoctrinated and numb to the world that we should just be like, I guess, okay with that and be used to it by now? Is it not complaining? then a bigger sign of a bigger problem? So here I am now in the place of trying to defend complainers because of you Christians. Jeez, I know you're my brothers and sisters, but come on guys. Have you gotten so used to the world that now you wish to just merely remain silent about things that should not be? But come to think about it, complaining does have its place. I mean, have you ever read the Psalms? David was a complainer and he was one of the best of them. And complaining may actually serve at least as a stopgap to slow down the erosion of society. So as the world continues to slide left, Disney and other places need to hear parents say, uh, no, no thank you. We're not buying this filth and so stop making it. In some small way, we have to believe our voice matters. And if complaining does allow us to be heard, at least on some level, in a way that protects children, then sign me up, bro, I'll complain. Lastly, Complaining may actually be the least thoughtful form of communicating, but it does communicate something. It communicates what the Bible calls groaning, I think. A deep frustration and a desire that is associated with the world and that we want to see God move on the earth. And we groan for that inside. We believe this world belongs to God. And when we complain about things that are wrong, we may actually be communicating a deep truth about reality that the way things are are not the way they should be and not the way they can be. So I'll be the first to admit, complaining alone is not worth a lot, but it does mean something. If you're satisfied with merely complaining, then we should rethink our position because more needs to be done, so we can't be satisfied with that. But don't for one moment defer to silence as a workable solution for changing a world that God has called us to impact and, and that desperately needs to hear the voice of those who are redeemed and informed. So I'll just end it like this. If you think complaining is unhelpful, then probably the least helpful form of complaining is complaining about those who are complaining. So that said, you don't have to think like me, but you do have to think for yourself. And to do that, you have to stay informed because the better you think, the better our world can become. And we do have a role as Christians to step into that in some way, in some shape. So we'll have to dig in to how to do that and more on our next episode. So for now, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. 
Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.